Father, as we humble ourselves in the house of the Lord, it is great to be here. I've heard that said this morning, that how great it is to be in the house of God. And Father, as we prepare this morning to open up and rightly divide your word of truth that you have given to us, we pray, Father, that you will be with us now, that we will invite your Holy Spirit to be among us, that you will give us an incredible comprehension of your word that we can understand and know exactly what you wanted us to know from it when you gave it to us father be with us as we challenge ourselves with this we pray father that in all things that we do that we glorify you in everything and we pray this through your son jesus dear name amen well, good morning, everyone. I had one addendum to our announcements that the ornaments that uh, when you take those and you bring the packages in, uh, tape or place with it in the sack the ornament with your gift, and that way we know what gift went with, with who. So if you would, when you bring those back, uh, do that as well. Yes. Wrap them. Yes, I guess. Yes. Yeah, good question. Anyone else? When we want them back. Before Christmas, I know it. <laughs> well, next Sunday's the last Sunday, but probably if we get them by the next Wednesday or something at least, but hopefully by next Sunday. But anyway, it's, it's for a great, great cause. And... Uh, Anyway, speaking of that, this is that time of year, the holiday season, the hustle, the bustle. Everybody's shopping. They're getting in a good mood because the Christmas music is playing, and you're out there bouncing around, cooking. Sometimes you're stressed. Sometimes things are going on, too, with life as it's happening during this time. So we've got joyful people. We've got stressed people. We've got all kinds of things going on, but the one thing about it is this season allows an entry point for us to teach about Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Because it is on everybody's mind. And one of the things that I thought we would do is we're going to start since Sunday, two weeks from today, is Christmas morning. And I thought we would start that Sunday morning with the birth of Christ. And we're going to tell the Jesus story all the way up until Easter when we do the resurrection. So between Christmas and Easter, we're going to tell the Jesus story about his life, about why he had to come, about his death. The whole thing we're going to try to cover as, as much as we can in these coming weeks up to Easter time. So that gives us two weeks of preparation. I was thinking about the Old Testament. And how that in the Old Testament, it was preparing the way for Christ. And I thought, I'm going to Google messianic prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. I got 3.85 million links. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to narrow this puppy down a little bit, okay? So I, the first page, it had one that said, the top 40 prophecies fulfilled by jesus i thought well i can start there so i started looking through the top 40 prophecies and i was just really in awe of just those top 40 
it talks about Genesis chapter 3 is the first one, and it says that the seed of woman is going to bring forth someone that's going to crush Satan's head. That's why he needs to come and why we need to know the Jesus story. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, and he was the house of bread. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 proclaimed that he would be born of a virgin. Genesis 12 and 22, God promised Abraham that a Messiah was going to come through your lineage, through your seed line. He also promised that to his son Isaac, to Jacob, and to King David. And again in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, Another wonderful prophecy was there that he is going to be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us, that he was going to come in the flesh. And it goes on and on. The Psalms and the prophets tell us about the Messiah, the Deliverer, how he would be betrayed, how that he would be silent before his accusers, but his accusers were going to buffet him. They were going to beat him. They would scourge him they would ultimately nail him to a cross and kill him. And all of these things are told about in the Old Testament scriptures. And it says that when he died and was resurrected, that he went up to be on the throne at the right hand of God until he makes his enemies his footstool. And that's where we're going to go. And just as these prophecies laid the way, for the foundation of the coming Messiah. So we've got this week and next to kind of lay a quick foundation for the coming of the birth of Jesus in two weeks. And so Colossians chapter 2 tells us that the things that were written in the Old Testament were shadows of things to come. That there is a reality coming and this is the shadow of it and then we're going to put that together and you'll see the real thing. The real thing this morning is about the Lamb of God. The shadow of that reality is in Exodus chapter 12. So if you brought your Bibles with you this morning and you would like to turn there, go to Exodus chapter 12. The reality of that is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The one who the Old Testament talked about that would be the forerunner John the baptizer said this when he saw him. Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. And also again in verse 36 he looks at him as he's walking and he tells his disciples behold the Lamb of God. So what we're about to read in the Passover story of Exodus 12 was the shadow of the Lamb of God that was going to come. So God promised that he would hear their cry, they're in Egypt. And he says, I will hear your cry, and I will come to you. And they've waited for a long time in captivity, and all of a sudden he brings Moses back. And he tells Moses, you're going to go into the palace of Pharaoh. I'm going to send you there with a message that I want my people let go, and they're going to go back to their homeland, and you're going to worship me. But he said, Pharaoh's not going to want to hear you. He's going to have a hard heart. And he's going to try to turn you away. And he says, I'm going to bring some plagues upon Egypt to let them know that I am God. 
and he sends nine plagues. Oh, there's all of the water turned to blood. Could you imagine that? There was an infestation of frogs like none other. There was all kinds of stinging insects. There was fiery hail. There was all of these different things, animals dying of diseases. And then there was a darkness that was so dark that they could not even move. But yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he said in Exodus chapter 11, starting in verse 1, he tells Moses, he said, you know, I'm going to bring one more plague. Yet one more plague will I bring upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh, and afterwards they're going to let you go. They're going to be so upset that they're actually going to try to push you out of their life. And in verse 4 of that chapter, he reveals to Moses what that's going to be. And he says, about midnight, I'm going to go in the midst of Egypt. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt is going to die that night. From Pharaoh that sits upon the throne to the little maiden out behind the mill. And that brings us to chapter 12, where we're at this morning. The preparation for the first Passover feast. God says, I'm going to separate and I'm going to make a difference between my people. Between those who are called by my name, directed by me. Those who believe in me and trust in me and you do what I ask you to do and you follow my directions and I will pass over you this night but the difference is on Egypt I will not pass over them and let them go the firstborn is going to die because they do not have the blood of the lamb going to be placed upon their doorpost the difference in whether there was life or death that night is going to be because of the blood of the Lamb. So if you're there with me, let's begin reading in verse 1, and we'll go down to verse 14. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all of the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, They shall take to them every man a lamb, according to their house. The house of their fathers, a lamb per house. And if the household be too small, in other words, if there's only a person or two in that household, then let them join with their neighbor that also has a small household so that the one lamb can be shared among you. And it says that you're going to take it according to the number of souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb will be without blemish. It's a male in the first year. You will take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And that's because they were such poor folks in bondage in Egypt that it was either or. Later on, we're going to separate that as well once their flocks are blessed by God and they leave. And you shall keep it until the 14th day, and that's the lamb that you choose, of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein you eat of it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night. 
you'll roast it with fire, you'll have unleavened bread with it, and bitter herbs shall you eat. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head, his legs, and his pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning you will burn with fire. And thus shall you eat of it. This is your instruction. Your loins girded. Your shoes on your feet. Your staff in your hand. You will eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. And I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment, and I am the Lord. The blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses wherein ye are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This day will be now unto you a memorial. You will keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You will keep it as a feast by ordinance or law forever. So let's take a look real quick at what all that means. What did that mean to them? Let's break it down. Verse 2. Let's go back to verse 2. This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It's the first month of the year to you. The actual month is April, our fourth month, from the Gentile calendar that was happening. But God said, I'm going to change this. This will be to you the first month. And the first day of the first month will be a new year for you. And you think, and it still is today, by the way, the, the Jewish new year is April 1st. And you say, why did God do that? Because first of all, he says, i got to change your way of thinking. You're not under Pharaoh's rule. You're not under the law of the land anymore. You have come to me, and you're under mine. And the first thing that we're going to do is change the way you think. You don't have to be involved with everybody else's calendar and timeline and what you're supposed to do. Your first day of the year is now. You know why? Because I am your God and you're getting ready to start out on a new life. I am going to take you out of bondage and I am going to give you freedom. And you're going to have a new life and a new walk. And I don't want you having to think about the old things in your life. All things are going to be new. And we're going to start with the calendar and we're going to put you on my schedule. And we're going to get that old schedule out of your head. And then in verse 3 he continues... By introducing the Lamb. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. He said, Speak ye to the whole congregation. Why? Because the message of the Lamb is that important. If you miss the message, it can mean the difference between life and death. That's how important it is. So tell the entire congregation to gather themselves together. I'm going to give you some instructions for life. 
I'm going to give you some instructions for freedom. But you all got to be there to hear it so that you know what to do and what I'm telling you. You know, the message of the Lamb of God is still the difference between eternal life and eternal death, isn't it? It hasn't changed. This was the foreshadow of the reality. When Jesus came, he was the reality, and we look back upon that reality now. He says, you hear the message. You're going to know what you're supposed to do. But if not, if you decide not to follow, then all I can say is that heartache and disaster will come your way because you are going to receive the same thing as the Egyptians do if I don't see the blood upon the doorpost. So it's that important. Every man, here's our principle, every man, woman, young adult has to hear the message and make a choice for yourself. I can't make a decision for you for the Lamb of God and how you do. You can't make it for me. I can't do it for my family. I can tell the message, but I can't make that choice. Every person, it says, has to hear And according to the number of souls that's going to be in the house, you make your decision on whether you partake of the Lamb or you don't take of the Lamb of God. We can't do it for another person. It's an individual choice that each of us have to make. Those who don't make that choice, God does not perform the Passover of judgment upon. Verse 5 and 6, Your Lamb is to be without spot and blemish perfect he's beautiful isn't he as he sits there but he's representing the fact being unblemished of the life of jesus as he walked upon this earth that he was sinless and that represents his walk of life you're going to take a perfect lamb he was chosen by god the father himself to represent god we in a foreshadow in Exodus 12, are choosing a lamb without blemish. He says, you'll choose him away from the others in the tenth day, as you read there in 5 and 6. On the tenth day, you will select him, and you'll bring him out away from them. They were to put him up by the house and to keep him there so that nothing happens to that little fella until the fourteenth day, because you need him. So until the fourteenth day, you will keep him by the house. After three full days, on the 14th, the whole assembly again, the whole congregation of people of Israel were to gather themselves together that evening and they're going to slay the lamb. And they're going to watch the head of the household with some of his family helping him to do that. And you say, why is that important? Because Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. We are all responsible for the death of the lamb and needing the blood of the lamb to be able to be an atonement for us. So you gather the entire congregation together. Everybody needs to be there and participate because we're all responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. And it says to do it in the evening. And the actual word there means at twilight, at 6 p.m. Because you see on God's calendar, 6 p.m. begins the day. If you go back to Genesis 1, the evening, then the morning was day 1. The evening and the morning was day 2. 
So on God's calendar, the day starts at 6 p.m. and runs till 6 p.m. the next day. Don't start at midnight like the Gentile calendar does. Keep that tidbit in mind as we move forward because whenever we get to the death, burial, and resurrection, that's going to be very important on the timeline of Jesus' death and resurrection. Evening and morning makes day one. Verse 7. As the throat of the lamb is slit, then that evening with a sharp knife, the blood's collected into a basin. You will then take a hyssop branch, verse 22 will later explain, and that you will strike it upon the doorpost. You will dip it in the basin, and you will strike both sides and the top post of the door of the house. It's very specific. You do it on the house in which you will be eating the roasted lamb. And you say, why is that important? Because John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. You enter in through me. The blood of the lamb represents the blood of Jesus, and he is the door. And where God is going to see the door covered with his blood, that's the door you're going to enter into safety. So whichever door is your main door to enter in that night, you put the blood upon the doorposts, he said. It's shed by the sacrificial lamb. It provides safety and protection on this night when I pass through Egypt. Verse 8, how to prepare the lamb. Oh, this is important. This is important. You will eat the flesh that night and don't delay. That night you eat of it. So in other words, when you're ready to make the decision for Christ, don't delay. If you want to be in the family of God and you're not, you let one of us know and we're going to help you out today. Don't delay. Come on up here whenever we end this today and ask. Don't delay. Do it in haste, he says. But God has given instructions for life. Don't be like Felix who said, when there's a more convenient season, maybe I will call. Sometimes that convenient season never comes around. But he says, roast it with fire. Fire relates to judgment. So this is the Lamb of God receiving the judgment that we should have got in the shadow of the reality as you roast him with fire. Then it says to partake of the unleavened bread. And again, we said that leaven points to sin. And the unleavened bread also, like the, the uh, lamb who was without spot or blemish, represents the sinless life of Christ, the body that was without sin. And it's based on the principle of grace. And then the bitter herbs. Why bitter herbs with the roast lamb and with the unleavened bread? Because you need something to remind you of the bitterness of life without God. The bitterness of life if you are not in Christ Jesus. And it reminds you the bitterness of the bondage of slavery and sin. So you need something every time to remind you of that so you don't go back into your old walk of life. You don't think back on Egypt, but your mind stays forward onto the new land that I'm giving you in Christ, your new life. Verse 9, do not eat it raw. The death of our lamb to be effective, he has to be roasted with fire. Don't boil it. Don't put water with it or sodden, and that's boiling it. 
You don't boil it in water. You don't take of it raw. My instruction is to roast it with fire. And when you roast it with fire, it effectively represents the judgment that Christ received for you as he went through it. Roasting with his head, his feet, and his pertinence. That's a pretty good Old Testament word, isn't it? Pertinence. What that really means is, is his entrails, his insides. It means in the midst of, the actual word says. So you roast him whole, complete. The only thing that you're going to remove is the fur before you roast him. Everything else will be together as the Lamb of God. And you're not going to break a bone of him either. And that was one of the prophecies fulfilled by Christ on the cross. For 30, well it's been 3,400 years to now, but for 1,400 years as they performed this sacrifice, thousands and hundreds of times, hundreds of thousands of times, never was a bone broken of the lamb that was offered in our stead. Verse 10, nothing of it will remain till morning. What remains completely burn up with fire. What remains, you're supposed to kind of choose a lamb for the size of the family that's going to be within the house to eat so that there shouldn't be hardly anything left of it. But every once in a while, there's people who don't want to follow instructions. And if they don't follow instructions, and if they don't go in that night to eat and partake of the lamb, then what's left over is burn up. And in other words, whenever time's passed, time's passed. You've, this life is our only chance to make that decision to partake of Christ. And what's left is also roasted up into the judgment and thrown into the fire with what's left. Your portion that was left gets tossed into the fire. Verse 11 gives four mechanics for the people who are eating it. That's kind of like you and I. Four mechanics. Loins girded. That means we're prepared. Be prepared. Realize, listen to my instructions. Get ready and realize exactly what this means. You're going into a new life. You're leaving Egypt and you're going to be walking with me. Get prepared. He said, gird up your loins. And what that man at that time, you can see the guy there that's striking the doorposts. He has a robe. The robe was what the people wore. And if the robe is, usually the longer the robe and the more tassels that you put on there, it looks like the, the higher society you were. And what he's saying is, when he says, gird up your loins, he's saying, take that sash, that belt there, and you take part of your robe and you, you pull it up so that this thing the bottom comes up around your knees because you don't want anything to trip you up. Whenever we get ready to move out of bondage and sin, don't let anything stand in your way. Don't let anything trip you up from making the decision that I'm telling you to do and to get out of the land of bondage. Then he says, put shoes on your feet. You're going to eat the lamb with shoes on your feet. That means be ready to go. We're talking a new walk of life. We're talking walking out of here and we're going and you're going to need shoes on your feet. Get prepared. Get ready to go. Staff in your hand. The word of God. That staff is going to guide you. That staff is going to protect you. And when you get tired and when troubles come, you're going to need something to lean on as you're going through this new walk of life. So take the word of God and let it be your staff 
and lean upon it in trials. Lean not unto your own understanding, but lean on the staff that I'm going to give you. And then he tells it, I like this, eat it in haste. And I got to tell you, I usually eat in haste anyway. That's why I kind of like this, it's scriptural. Not to say not eating in haste is unscriptural, because my wife, we can go to Subway, split a foot long, and I can be done with mine and look over and there's still that much left and uh, I'll move on. I'll move on. But he says eat in haste. Why do we eat in haste? Because eating is a representation of taking in that word, the staff of life. Remember how the prophets would say, he told me to eat of the book and I ate thereof. So eating is taking in the word of God. And he says do it in haste. Why? Because as Tonto would say to the long ranger. Life is tough. Kimosabi. It is. And things happen quickly. Especially when you try to do something for God. How many times you get under attack. Whenever you're going to serve God in some way. And all of a sudden man. It seems like things start crashing down around you. When you start taking in my word. Do it in haste. Be quick about it. Take as much in. I mean, be hungry for it. Devour it. Because life is tough. Troubles are going to happen. And you're going to need it. And probably what you need is what I'm trying to get you to eat hurriedly. But if you don't, then you're not going to have it there to help you out. So eat it in haste. Have all these things ready for you, for your protection. Rest in him in faith and don't lean on your own understanding. In verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. And again, everything is on God's timetable. Everything's on his timeline. And he says, this night I'm going to pass through here and I will smite the firstborn of all of Egypt. The firstborn of your kids. The firstborn of the animals. And then also get this of all of the gods of Egypt. And that's gods with a little g. And I hope as we move through the life of Christ and then afterwards, we're going to talk about these small g gods, these uh, demonic presences and powers that we will be fighting against in our spiritual life and in spiritual warfare. But he's going to wreak some havoc on those from Egypt as well. Then he says, I just gave you instructions that you are to enter into the house and to eat and to do these things. If you are in there and you are protected by me, I will pass over you this night and you will not face judgment. But it is going to come upon Egypt and they will know that I am God. And then verse 13 says that the blood that was poured out by your lamb, your lamb, he shall be to you a token upon your house of where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. But upon Egypt, I execute judgment to those. There's a difference between those who obey the word of God and those who refuse the word of God. And he says that the blood will be upon your house as a token. Now, I have to admit, I'm pretty good at skee-ball at Chuck E. Cheese. I go there and get some of those tokens, but you know what those tokens are worth? You turn in a bunch of stuff, and you'll get about a 75-cent toy, and you're like, what? I spent 30 bucks. 
Yeah, that's not the token we're talking about here. The token that we're talking about, the word means a signal. It means a symbol, a sign. And in Genesis 9, this word was used three times when God told him, I'm going to send a rainbow. And it's my covenant with you that I will never again destroy this earth with water. So it means it's a covenant with God. So whenever you do what God said in this preparation, he makes a covenant with you when he sees the blood upon your doorpost. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm getting a cold chill right about now. I'm going to sit back down. Because when you think about that, when you accept Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and his blood is upon your doorpost, you're in a covenant relationship with him. And we talked about a, a couple of weeks ago about a promise is only as good as the person behind the promise. God does not lie. And when he says, I have just formed a covenant relationship with you, he told the truth. And you can rest in that, but it's up to us to present ourselves in this covenant relationship with him and do what he told us to do. Verse 14 tells us that all of this ritual that you're going through is going to be a memorial. You're going to keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Verse 15, he goes on to say that after that, for seven days, you're going to eat unleavened bread from the first day to the seventh day. And he says that if you eat leavened bread, that soul is to be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Man, that sounds pretty serious to me, doesn't it? You? If you ate leavened bread when he told you not to eat leavened bread, you were cut off during that time from the congregation of Israel because you didn't obey. Verse 17 there in Exodus 12, look. You will observe the feast of unleavened bread from the 14th day, the day that you slay the lamb, the Passover, to the 21st day. For seven days no leaven will be found in your house. The soul that eats leaven shall be cut off from the congregation. Wow. But now, rubber meets the road. How does that apply to me? That's okay for them, but as we approach landing this lesson today, what does that mean for you and I going forward in life? What's this word from God trying to speak to us as the shadow of our reality? Remember we talked back in verse 5 and 6 about how that you would choose the perfect lamb unblemished and that you would take him from away from the fold and you would bring him up by the house so that he would be up there and he would, we said he would be safe from the 10th to the 14th day. Oh, that's true. But I saved the good part for last. Because you see that pure white lamb, innocent, playful, he's sweet, he bounces around. And as they're all around the houses, which would be basically uh, a lot of them's tents, as they're staked outside, they would be bleeding to each other. Bah, bah. And then you'd come home at night, and you would feed him, you'd water him, and you'd find that the kids had been playing with him all day. He was frolicking around, and everybody starts to get attached to that lamb during that three-day period. And then it says on the 14th day at evening, the whole congregation of Israel gathers together as you kill that lamb you know this lamb 
represents the Son of God. And a sacrifice is something that has to cost you something. Or it's not a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that means something dearly to you, and as you have to give it up, it hurts. It costs you something. So how do you think God felt since this was the Lamb of God representing His Son that would come and die upon the cross for us? How do you think God felt when He had to offer Him up? You say, oh, that poor Lamb, we're going to have to do that. How do you think God felt? How do you think He felt? This is going to be tough because I've not yet got through this without tears. So I'm just pre-warning you. How do you think God felt that night when his son in prayer three times said, Father, if, you, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But if not, not my will, but thy will be done as they was looking at the cross that next morning. How do you think God felt when his son was taken right after that by armed soldiers, spent the night in trials. How do you think God felt when he was taken before the high priest of their own place, Israel, and he was rejected? Pilate and Herod, each time beaten. How do you think God felt? When they stripped his garment from him, wrapped it around his face, started hitting him, and said, oh, you said you're a prophet. Well, tell us who it was this time that hit you. Tell me who it was. How do you think God felt when his son was spat on and scourged with a rip and a crown of thorns placed upon his head? And then he was placed lying down on the cross, on the ground, so that stakes could be driven into his hands and his feet. And then that cross is lifted up and dropped in a hole, and the body is unhinged. How do you think God felt? I can't imagine when we said that leaven or sin... God is righteous and just, and he cannot look upon that. But this was going to be our atonement, the blood of the lamb for our sins, and it has to happen. So as the lamb was roasted with fire and judged, so darkness comes. And the lamb of God that he chose is now judged for our sins. And during that three hours of darkness, God cannot look upon the sins that the lamb is taking upon himself. And he has to turn his back in the darkness. And I wonder how he felt. When he, his son cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because of us, my sin that he had to forsake him during that time on the cross. It cost God immensely for that sacrifice. It cost Jesus his life. So you're going to take that little lamb 
And you're going to, he tells the folks in Exodus, and you're going to kill him that day. Because it cost me a lot too in that ninth hour when my son cried out, why have I forsaken him? And as we move forward, I was looking for, I knew it was there and I had to find it. And it was the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you want to turn your Bibles there as we get ready to close. 1 Corinthians 5. Because this Passover feast was instituted 3,400 years ago, but it worked its way up to the reality of Christ. And today, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, like we will do in just a few moments, we're doing the same thing, but we're looking back to the cross. And it's all the same representation of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And just as they were given instructions for preparation before they partook of it, we are given some of those preparation commands as well. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 7, Paul tells them to purge out the old leaven that you might be a new lump. As you are in leaven for Christ our Passover. See that? Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Here leaven is again shown and be described as a symbol for what sin is in the life of a person. Christ is portrayed as the unleavened bread. And when he's died for us, then we take that blood upon our doorposts. We become unleavened as well. We have sin removed from our life. And here, what we have in Corinth is some folks who have gone back into an old way of life. They don't still have their loins girded. They don't have their shoes on their feet and their staff in their hand. But he tells them in verse 1 and 2 that there are some things going on here that not even the Gentiles are known to do. And yet, he says, you're still doing it. Not only that, you're puffed up about it. I know I'm a little bit out of order, Tanya, but go ahead and switch to the next one. Because when he says they're puffed up about it, what do you see the difference between an unleavened bread and a leavened bread? It's puffed up, isn't it? Yeah, the leaven's puffing you up. You're bragging about sin, and I'm telling you, it's not good. And Paul continues to go through this chapter, and he says, I, though I'm absent in the body, I am present with you in spirit. We got to purge the leaven out of the house of God. Before you're going to take of my feast in verse 8, he's telling you you're going to purge the leaven from your life and from my house. Verse 5, he says, now look at this one closely. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, he says, even though I'm not there, I'm already there in spirit and in the power of Jesus Christ, verse 4. He says, remove the one from you who is doing this. If they don't repent, if they don't change and remove the leaven, then remove him from the midst because a little leaven leavens the whole loaf of bread and we can't have that spreading through the entire body of Christ. For Christ, our Passover, was offered for you as an unleavened, sinless life 
And we are therefore, it says, to walk and to follow in these instructions to purge it from our life as well. So if the guys want to come on up as we, as we close. He said, your glorying is not good in this type of thing. Purge it from you. And he continues that this is our feast in verse 8. Look at that, our feast. This is what we will do in just a moment. The Lord's Supper. He said that our feast as well is not with the old leaven inside of you. You left Egypt. You left the old leaven. It's to be as a new lump because we are now an unleavened lump. We are a family of God that that has been taken away and removed from our life. So Paul says that God ordained the Passover and ordained Christ to be our Passover. And that's the shadow of the reality and the reality that is for us. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And I hope that we now see why the birth of Jesus is going to be so important in two weeks because he is the Lamb of God that was offered up to take away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, as we close out and we're left with the thoughts of this message today, pray, Father, that you will be with us and help us to understand. And boy, sometimes there's trouble in my life as well and I have to purge things and I have to think consciously and I have to daily take in my staff of life and my bread and I have to daily put on my shoes and gird up my loins and I know that others face the same thing and father if there are those here that have heard this and they've said you said in haste don't delay if, you, if they're here or listening online and you decide today for Jesus Christ, let it be known. Let us know about it. And we will make sure that that is performed and you will get filled in on what to do. And for those of us as the family of God, those who are here at New Life and worshiping you and following in those steps and putting on our shoes and our hitching up our girding up our loins, Father, we pray that you will be with each one of us, that this word will mean something, that we will take it to heart. May we apply it to our lives. And if we need to come to you in prayer, you gave us another promise in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. And you said that if you will confess your faults to me, I am faithful and just to forgive you of those things and then to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yea, God, that is all because you can be just and righteous in doing it because of the Lamb of God that took away the sins of of the world and we thank you and praise you for that sacrifice and may you and your son and your spirit be glorified in all that we do in Jesus name amen